Welcome to Digitech Health Leadership Talks, a podcast about digital transformation in healthcare. In this series, we're exploring disruptive technologies that have helped the world through the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast is brought to you by the International Hospital Federation. I'm Emil Ackerman, and I'll be your host for this episode. Our guest on today's podcast is Larry Breen from Ireland. Welcome, Larry. Good morning. How are you? Uh, let's start with where in the world are you and what do you do for work? So as you said, I'm Larry Breen. I'm head of health and life sciences for Nearform. Nearform are headquartered out of Southern Ireland. Uh, we've been around 10, 11 years, but we're, uh, we've been a remote first company since our inception. So we're across 29 countries now, I think on the last count and growing. So I've focused very much on their uh, health and life science practices is looking at how we can bring excellence in software engineering to the market to help pharma, biotech, healthcare companies, med device companies actually embrace digital transformation and improve healthcare for everybody. Could you tell us about the COVID tracker app, uh, which is implemented in Ireland? How does it work? Sure, no problem. So uh, if we go back to the beginning of the whole COVID pandemic, obviously, as it started to come in on on all countries around the globe, we got approached by a number of governments. In the initial phase, it was the Irish government came to us. They actually rang us up on Saturday morning and they needed to look at how they could handle uh, some of the digital contact tracing and and their response to COVID. So they were talking to a number of, of suppliers, ourselves included. They needed somebody who could obviously build something extremely quickly but it had to be very scalable. It needed to go out to full population, um, but needed to go out and scale extremely fast, not like a typical typical app. At the heart of it, we needed to ensure privacy-preserving credentials were always in there. So, you know, we always have to do that with and anything to do with healthcare and personal data. Obviously, we need to make sure protections are in there. But it was even more important in terms of, you know, COVID tracking to make sure that people didn't feel put upon that they were actually being individually tracked and, and their data was being misappropriated. So uh, we spun up a team that Saturday afternoon and um, 10 days later, we delivered the first app into the uh, Irish government and said, hey, look, you know, it's a proof of concept. It's not a a production ready. But what it did is it took the ideas and and gave them something to work with. So there's a number of stakeholders involved is to go out and actually play with it, get different folks involved, get different views on it. So we could actually evolve the build and and in an agile way, bring it forward so we could rapidly get to a position where we could actually bring the product to market, which we ultimately did um, very successfully and had like rapid adoption. So from launch, you know, we were above a million users within a matter of hours. It really was like super, super fast, very readily adopted. We also then worked with the Irish government because of one of the reasons why they wanted to work with us is we do a lot of work within the open source community. Um, So we've been an advocate on on that side of and a major contributor to a lot of open source projects. So we agreed uh, to support the Irish government. So we took the code that we built on their behalf and we open sourced it. and, And out of that was born the Linux Foundation Public Health. Uh, Nearform directly then went on to support another nine countries uh, across the globe, both in the US and across Europe, again, in terms of their their response to COVID. How the app actually works, so it uses, again, liaising with Apple and Google, it uses the underlying operating system exposure notification service, um, which basically allows keys, anonymized keys, to anybody else who's got a similar app uh, listening to it. Those keys are collected, and then if anybody becomes infected, they notify 
a central server and that central server basically pulls down these anonymous keys for comparison and then locally in the individual pocket they're able to identify if they've had a close contact event so very simple and straightforward we then layered on top of that is a symptom monitor and information flows and some advice so again just to give that whole experience to our citizens so they can actually understand it uh, and move it forwards and we've been able to iterate on that obviously over the last 12 18 months as COVID has evolved thanks I understand that COVID tracker gives users health advice in addition to alerting them if they have been in close contact with a known COVID-19 case. If a user informs the app that they have tested positive, will the app encourage compliance with quarantine guidelines? The Irish government themselves did a lot of behavioral studies to look at what the needs of the population were. So on the technology side, we have the contact tracing piece, as I say, using ENS services. What we also want to do is support citizens. So within it, we had a symptom monitor. So again, what it did is it allowed people to obviously on a daily basis check in to say I'm feeling fine or actually today I've got a cough or a cold or a sniffle or whatever the list of, of symptoms actually were. And based on those symptoms, obviously provided them with up-to-date advice from the health authorities based on the best health advice that was actually available there. So what we were trying to do from that point of view is, is help people understand how they themselves can manage themselves through the whole um, COVID side of it. Now, for everybody, and we've seen it on, on a global basis, you know, there's a huge amount of confusion. COVID came so very quickly. It's evolved so extremely fast. Um, it's been so impactful. There's been a lot of evolving thoughts and, and, and understanding. So what we wanted to make sure is through this solution was to make sure that we were engaging with the citizens and population as much as we possibly could. So, you know, they were able to get involved and take an active part in terms of combating the impact of COVID within society. We also then put in there is some information services around you know, adoption levels and, and infection rates. And what it did is, again, is it just kept people involved in terms of understanding that they have a part to play in terms of how we beat the pandemic. How has the uptake been in Ireland in terms of the app? Are there any metrics to describe that? Yeah, so the metrics, and, and you'll find with all of the exposure notification metrics, they're, they're quite loose and limited. Um, and, and the reason that sits behind that is, obviously, at the heart, and, and as we said earlier on, Privacy preserving was at the heart of everything that we did. So we stripped out any uh, hint of any personalized data or anything that was that was tracking. And, and the cost of that means some of the normal metrics that you'll be able to hold on to. Obviously, we, we took those out again just to make sure that there was no confusion. So what we didn't want is we didn't want citizens or, or users to feel any way unsure about engaging and actually embracing solutions that we put out there by their respective governments that we were working on behalf of. In terms of adoption levels, obviously, we saw the amount of downloads and, and people that updated it and took the latest versions of it. Uh, again, at a very limited because we didn't want to identify individual users, so we could just do a high-level count. In terms of, you know, the Irish population is, what, four and a half million people. Straight away, within sort of 12, 24 hours, we were like over a million uh, users, you know, which was just phenomenal. And that sort of trajectory continued to grow all the way through the pandemic. And we've seen that kind of number sort of hover around that level and go up and down. So we've seen some peaks, uh, especially in, in the thick of it. And obviously, as we come out the other side of it, we've still got a, quite a heavy active user base. Do you think this type of technology could be applied to other areas of healthcare? Yeah, very much so. So we're lucky enough within Nearform is that we're working with a lot of public health authorities. Um, we're also working with a lot of enterprises, so pharma, biotech and private healthcare providers. 
again, we can see that the challenges that we face in terms of healthcare provision um, going forwards, making sure that you know we deal with the backlogs that are going to be uh, seen as a consequence of COVID. We know that you know people are going to live longer, and we're going to be able to provide more and more therapies for them. So it creates a huge amount of activity within that healthcare space. Leveraging digital tools all the way from therapy identification and ideation through clinical trials, as well as patient engagement are, are going to be vital. And, and key to that is both that engagement piece, which we saw through the apps so the COVID apps, where we were able to engage with affected people and citizens and participants. So it wasn't just clinicians doing stuff in, in isolation. It was about making sure everybody had their part to play in it and were very clear. But it was also then from, from that point of view is trying to get real world and as near to as possible real-time data moving through the system. So within the whole healthcare environment, we've got a huge amount of data and we're collecting more and more and more of that as we obviously become more sophisticated with our healthcare services and, and the therapies. What we need to make sure is, can we use that data for the greater good? And, and a key part of that, and, and we saw that within how COVID apps were delivered is, is dealing with that privacy preserving. So stripping out identifiable data that's not needed in order to make clinical decisions, you know, when we're looking at clinical trials and research and, and monitoring how things are actually being affected going forward. So I think there's a huge amount of learnings that are going to come out from that side of it. I think the second big learning that's going to come out within the industry, and we're, we're seeing everybody kind of get on board with it, is COVID forced us to rethink what we thought were the norms. And where before, if you looked at like a clinical trial or, or bringing a product or therapy to market, you know, it's a 10 to 15 year endeavor and it costs like $500 million type, type stuff as, as just an average. Within COVID, we saw um, the vaccines are a great example of it. It was we were able to expedite that. So again, condense down those timelines, become far more efficient at it. Look at how we obviously leverage those kind of apps, data and real world information. Look at decentralized um, clinical trial systems. So we can, you know, again, condense all of those timelines, bring those costs down as a consequence. So what it means is we can get more therapies out to market faster and also reach out to a broader range of, of uh, illnesses that historically we probably haven't been able to actually create a commercial justification for, you know, pharma and biotech companies to invest the amount of sums that are necessary to create a therapy. Right. Very good point there. I understand you happen to also be affiliated with the Linux Foundation for Public Health. Can you tell us about that organization? Yeah, so the Linux Foundation itself has been around for, for, for many, many years. And again, very much supporting that whole developer, global developer community and, and open source and looking at how we can use technologies to really move you know, the world forward. Linux Foundation Public Health is uh, within that umbrella organization as a foundation specifically focused on public health activities. So what we're doing is we're basically, so I chair the advisory board. We've got a bunch of, you know, super dedicated, clever people, um, both full time as well as folks like me that come in and just help out where we can. What we're looking to do is to try and really understand what public health authorities needs are going forwards and where we can find common solutions across public health authorities and bring those technologies to the market again, ideally in a, an open sourced manner. So from that point of view is we can create something like we did with the COVID side of it build out a solution, then open source it and make it freely available for anybody to actually use and, and, and implement. So we'll do similar kind of things. And we continue to do that with uh, things like credentialing and identifications around COVID certs and, and, and vaccine management. We'll see that now within the you know Linux Foundation Public Health is start to expand that into more of the longer term non-pandemic response 
activities. And again, it's looking at these common components. So not infringing in terms of obviously we've got enterprises and, and folks creating assets that are of value back to their, their shareholders and their companies. That's absolutely fine. But there's common component elements that we really can all pull together to obviously accelerate the delivery of those. Uh, and therefore, that sort of benefits everybody and ultimately improves health outcomes for the global population. Now, if one of our listeners, for example, me, <laughs> works in public health anywhere in the world, but isn't connected to a global public health initiative like this, how can they get involved? So fundamentally, what I'd suggest to them is reach out to me at any stage. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on email, you know, reach out to nearform.com. Uh, we're involved. So again, from my point of view, myself and my team were involved with a whole bunch of different organizations across the globe. So we were geographically spread. Uh, we're working both within the enterprise as well as the public health authority side of it. So we've got all avenues covered reach out. I'm happy to jump on a call with people at any stage, help them understand what it is we're actually doing and, and, and see how we can best get them to contribute to some of the wider conversations and projects that we got going on. What is your hope for the future of healthcare technology, whether it is in Ireland or even globally? Yeah, I think Ireland or globally, uh, Ireland, we're, we're kind of lucky. So Ireland is, is, is a relatively small Ireland, four and a half, five million people. But we've got a big global reach. So if you look at the healthcare companies, if you look at the pharma biotech businesses, you know, typically all of them have some level of operation here in Ireland. And, and what we're looking to do is in Ireland, across EMEA and globally is look at how we can actually collaborate more on, on key parts of healthcare delivery. And what we want to try and do is, is really reach out and engage all facets of it, from clinicians all the way through service delivery, obviously make sure patients are at the center of, of whatever we do, but also take it outside of just the clinical stuff. So, you know, we're looking at a particular project at the moment around social prescribing. So coming away from the clinical side of it is looking at what support activities can we actually give as part of an extension to therapies and treatment care path. So what we're looking to do is really is move away from, I guess a lot of people will call it sick care, and move more into that kind of healthcare. So we're not just responding to something, we're actually getting people to buy into their health journey. We're giving them visibility and control. We're making them all active participants. And as a consequence, we can really see an increase in the positive health outcomes going forwards. Larry, thank you for the discussion and thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, it's been a real pleasure. podcast was created by members of the Young Executive Leaders Program of the International Hospital Federation. Taylor Johansson, Canada. Leandro Luis, Portugal. Emil Ackerman, Finland. Dr. Suda Patak, United Arab Emirates. Dr. Christy Lam, Hong Kong. And Kushal Kadakia, United States.